0: Um, I'm really excited about this show today. So, I saw this person speak at the TED Med Conference, which was held in Washington, D.C., uh, last September, which is awesome. If you have the chance to go, go. No questions asked. Um, and his talk, so I was sort of live tweeting and even talking with people after his talk, and it definitely got people buzzing, both online and at TED Med. So, um, I, it, it, believe me, you're going you're gonna to really love this talk. We're going to be talking about, I'm going to dumb it down, or simplify, I won't say dumb it down, I'm going to simplify and say we're going to be talking about that kind of gut-brain connection, which is, I think, uh, really a hot topic these days. So I'm very happy to have on the show Professor John Crane. He is the professor and chair in the Department of Anatomy and Neuroscience at University College, Cork. He received his B.S.C. and Ph.D. From the, University, from the National University of Ireland in Galway. He was a visiting fellow at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Melbourne in Australia, which was followed by postdoctoral fellowships at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla, California. He spent four years at the Novartis Institutes for Biomedical Research in Basel, Switzerland as lab head of uh, the Behavioral Pharmacology prior to joining University College Cork. He currently is also the principal investigator in the Elementary Pharmabiotic Center. He has published over 250 peer-reviewed articles and book chapters, including articles in high-impact journals. And for UPTs out there, we know how much we love those. He has edited books on behavioral neurogenetics, depression from, psycho- from psychopathology to far- pharmacotherapy, and microbial endocrinology, the microbiota gut-brain axis and health and disease. And he is also a member of the highly cited researcher list and also included in the 2014 uh, The World's Most Influential Scientific Minds. He's editor of tons of Journals, he's won tons of awards. You can look all that up on the website. So uh, professor, thank you for joining and good afternoon
1: Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here
0: Okay, so we have a lot to cover today, so we're gonna just get right down into it So first just so the audience gets an idea of kind of what you're about. What are your areas of research and your main interests?
1: So I'm a neuroscientist, uh, Karen, and my interest really is about how the brain and the body deals with stress. And we're particularly interested in stress at specific uh, time points in life, be it early in life, adolescence, and all the way into aged uh, populations. But unlike a lot of neurobiologists who are focusing on stress, who are specifically focusing on the brain, we're also quite interested in how the brain and the gut communicate and how stress uh, can influence it in that and then over the last number of years we've been uh, interested then in how uh, the microbes in the gut can play, be a player in connection with the brain. But stress-related uh, pathologies all the way from stress-induced pain, visceral pain, uh, all the way to depression, anxiety and, and anything that, that chronic or traumatic stress can have on, on body.
0: And, you know, as we go through this interview, we're going to be throwing out a lot of different terms. So just for the audience today who may not know the definition of these terms, let's get some of those out of the way sure. now. So that way, when, as we're going through and we're throwing out these words, people know what we're talking about. So first, what is the microbiome and how is it developed?
1: Sure. So um,
0: Microbiota
1: microbiota and microbiome are are, are words you hear a lot about Um, and initially they were used kind of synonymously as the same thing they are actually quite different in 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 that the way i interpret it is, is is that your biome is the genetic material like your genome uh so your microbiome is the the totality of the microbial genetic material within uh, within you, and um, your microbiota is the composition of the actual bacteria and uh, viruses and, and other microbes that are within the gut. So you can have a, a you can sequence your microbiome that tells you the genetic material, uh, but it's the actual microbiota that are there that are actually doing the doing the job, and um, with the We've known about our, that our, uh, the, the bacteria for forever, for, for but with the advent of high-throughput sequencing, sophisticated sequencing techniques over the last few decades, then people have been able to get to sequence uh, and find out the genetic material and find out what's in the microbiome. And so with these technologies, we've got a huge increase over the last five years in the uh, evidence supporting a role for the microbiome uh, in uh, health and disease and uh, so where do we get our microbiome well we get our microbiome for the most part from our mothers uh, if we're born naturally so as I like to say it's another thing we can blame our mothers for in (laughs) psychiatry Um, But and if you're born um, uh, by c-section Uh, then it's a different microbiome. The frontier microbes that you get are quite different. They come from the skin or from the hospital environment. And these frontier bacteria are very crucial during early life uh, in laying down the the, 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 the actual uh, path uh, of microbial growth and then uh, over the first two years of life then uh, th- th- there is a, um, uh, a lot of uh, a development of the diversity of the microbiome and uh, uh, by about two then it's more or less steady state uh, in it. So um, we are we are heavily microbial in terms of, so we have a, 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 at least uh, uh, 10 times more microbial cells than we have uh, uh, human cells and about a hundred times more genes uh, are in our microbiome than are in our genome. Yet we focus all of our efforts on st- looking at what genes are involved in, be it pain or arthritis or whatever, but uh, it actually, why don't we look at what's there in much more uh, plenty. And, um, Humans have never, not humans, but mammals, and we have evolved always uh, in the presence of microbes. Microbes were there first in evolution. So every cell in the body has evolved uh, to war- operate in a mutualistic way in, in the context of um, uh, having uh, a microbial population in its environments or in accessory organs or nearby. Uh, so it's, it's, it's worth always just stepping back and thinking about, uh, we, we get very uh, focused on, on eukaryotic mechanisms, but it's also worth thinking about you know that everything you know has emerged from bacteria and uh, that's something that we that, that we're quite intrigued by
0: and so the mic if the microbiome is pretty much set let's say after 2 years is is then the microbiota is that something that can change with us as we age or is that
1: about the same. No, it's, it's, the, 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 it's the same, it's just that the microbiome is the genetic material that's driving mm-hmm. the expression of the actual microbiota, uh, and the microbiota then will uh, secrete different metabolites and, and have different uh, functions, and it's thought that it's relatively stable if your environment is kept stable. However, mm-hmm. if you travel to Asia and eat a lot of hot food or become vegetarian or do different things, you, you, your microbiota will change. And it changes, like diet is the biggest driver of change in the microbiota. For sure, age will change it. Uh, a study done by my colleagues here in Cork looked at the microbiota composition of elderly people recently, and they show that there was a l- real lack of diversity uh, as people age, and that this goes influenced extremely uh, much by the diet. And that if you went into a nursing home or nursing uh, or assisted living scenario, you're Diet became a lot less uh, uh, diverse and your microbiota became a lot less diverse and your health became a lot less, uh, your health outcomes became uh, 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 a a lot more restricted. So frailty and cognitive and immune function and all that. And that's just one example in one population, but that's the same in any of the populations. It's just that we're more vulnerable as we age in terms of keeping a, a, a healthy microbiome.
0: Okay. Yeah, that that's really that makes a lot of sense. Okay, another definition that we might another word we might be throwing out here is flora. So okay. What is flora, and what is? Flora the is a
1: word we don't use. It's a bad word. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a layperson's word for the microbiota, okay. and in science nowadays. Uh, my microbiology colleagues get very upset if I use it because I might use it the odd time. So flora is about flowers and it's about what happens in meadows and uh, it's uh, not what happens within. We don't have uh, flowers growing within our uh, gut, but it's a no. It's you're right. It's widely used term. Yeah. You know, especially in, in nutrition uh, um, uh, and supplements and stuff like that, you know, keep your exactly. flora happy. Uh, but really, it's uh, it, what we're t- what we're mean is our microbiota.
0: Okay, yeah, because you hear that term a lot. You hear it in, I think. Uh, advertising and sure. and things like that, and we'll talk about that sort of stuff a little bit. Yeah, later, yeah.
1: But absolutely. But but it's 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 not really a good term uh, to use uh, uh, from a scientific point of view, or mm-hmm. from uh, and I think moving forward, you're going to hear less and less of it mm-hmm. uh, be, be, because it's just a word from, from when people didn't know when when they couldn't sequence what was in there and they didn't know what was in the gut, it was a uh, kind of catch-all phrase. Okay. You know.
0: Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. Good to know. Okay. So, you know, your TED Talk and, and a couple of other the lectures that I've listened uh, online that you have done and your research, you know, you're talking about that gut-brain connection. So how do they communicate with each other? What is their, What is the pathways that are used? That's a, that's a
1: fabulous question, Karen. I mean, we're really only starting to figure this out and it's one of the big unknowns in the field is is how this could be Uh, what are the the routes of communication we do know some and uh and i suppose the important thing to to realize is that uh different bacteria will have different routes of communication and, and that's also important too um let me list some so we have a a very important nerve pathway between our peripheral organs and the brain called the vagus nerves. And um, that is, it has called, it sends sensory signals to the brain and lets it know, you know, everything from breathing to cardiovascular function to digestion. And so that's been known. Uh, and what we showed in a study a couple of years ago was that in, in an animal study where we, we, we uh, showed some very very clear behavioral effects of a certain bacterial strain, a lactobacilli, uh, and we were, you know, we were very excited. We were, got changes in physiology and behavior and and in brain function. We looked at changes in the brain. But we're like, how can this happen? How can a bacteria, you feed, you take in your diet, how can that change what's going on in the brain? So what we did was, in collaboration with colleagues in Canada, in McMaster University, we we um, we just see... Determined how the animals behaved with this vagus nerve cut, and all of the effects of this bacteria, this specific bacteria, were gone. So this tells us that the vagus nerve is very important for uh, mediating uh, uh, su- such uh, effects, and and that's you know that that's one pathway for that bacteria, but that may not be the case for every bacteria. Indeed, some o- other uh, people we know in Canada have done similar studies with a different bacteria, bifidobacteria, and they found that it still worked in animals with the with the vagus uh, cut. So, it, you know, it'll vary from species to species and from w- what's going on, but it really gave us a really nice insight into that, okay, the vagus is important, but there's still a big black hole in our knowledge of how does a bacteria in the lumen of the gut, signal to the vagus, which is impending, you know, so we still have to figure that bit out, and and I'm still perplexed. But it probably involves what we call our second brain, which is the enteric nervous system, and it's important to realize that we have more neurons in our gut than we have in our spinal cord and uh so the vagus uh, uh, the enteric nervous system is able to, to to impinge on vagal function and the enteric nervous system is able to be uh activated if there's a leaky gut. Oh, and so a lot of the t- one of the other a- avenue that people are very much exploring is this concept of a uh, breakdown barrier function in the gut, and that the gut becomes more leaky, allowing certain bacteria or bacterial products to infiltrate and activate the immune system as well as activate the enteric nervous system. So the immune system is a clear other inflammatory pathways that all PTs will be, you know, very much aware of. And a lot of, you know, uh, uh, inflammation plays a role in lots of different uh, uh, pain uh, uh, syndromes, uh, etc. So, but, but that's another way that they that, that can signal to, 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 to the brain. Uh, a third way would be what these bacteria produce. Bacteria are little factories for producing um, neurotransmitters. These are the chemicals that help uh, two brain cells or two nerve cells to actually communicate with each other. And so these molecules uh, are can actually be produced by bacteria. Bacteria can also produce what we call fatty acids. Now, you've all heard of long-chain fatty acids like okay. omega-3s, omega-6s that are good for health and good for diet. Well, also there are short-chain fatty acids, and so these include butyrate, acetate, propionate, and these are very important also for maintaining barrier function and for a healthy immune function, but also can impinge on brain function. And um, so, so these short chain fatty acids, uh, we know if they can get to the brain. So that's another way that, that they can, they can um, uh, uh, affect. And then there's a lot of people interested in other metabolites. These are small little molecules that bacteria can make that humans can't. So they break down uh, uh, dietary products for the, the, uh, that, uh, into specific chemicals that without these bacteria, you can't create these chemicals. So the, the, one, of the, one of the key roles of bacteria in our uh, digestive process is actually breaking down things that, 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 that humans don't have the ability to do. But in doing so, there's lots of byproducts. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad and we don't really understand this. And there's a very growing area of of research and understanding what are these byproducts that bacteria are making from, say, fibers or from other uh, 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 dietary uh, uh, intake um, supplements. And uh, so some very interesting studies are emerging from places like Caltech and and Imperial in London looking at these byproducts and what they're impacting on the brain Mm. because they can actually get to the brain. And the final way, which is just a really new area that's emerged in the last few months, is that studies from um, Sweden have shown that to have a blood, so we our brain is kept very much uh, uh, healthy and away from all types of toxic things by the blood-brain barrier, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it keeps all nasty things out, uh, including bacteria, you know, as much as it can, you know. Mm-hmm. but. Uh, the, the group in Sweden showed that, that if you didn't have a, a, a microbiome, uh, that your blood-brain barrier doesn't form properly. And, uh, and they could recover this by giving bacteria that uh, secreted these short-chain fatty acids. So that, that they, at every level of how the brain communicates to the periphery, there is a, a, a potential for um, uh, bacteria to impinge on us. The other way would be through hormones, uh, specific digestive hormones, uh, and these are very important in regulating appetite and food intake and and, and things like that. Uh, And we now know that bacteria can influence the secretion of these uh, into the periphery. So they're just some of the mechanisms and, uh, you know, lots of unknowns. You know, do we do the bacteria have to be always alive? Uh, do they have to produce something? Can they activate the immune system through through a different way? You know, what what are the what are the different uh, mechanisms? So you know, I, 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 I'm um, I'm quite uh, uh, enthusiastic that in the next years the focus will be really in trying to tease apart what are these mechanisms and mm. and that it, it might not be such an out there concept that our brains are actually uh, under the influence of what's going on our, in our gut. And it kind of has been up until very recently.
0: And when you're talking about, you know, it seems like there's obviously a lot of different pathways, a lot of unknowns. Um, and, and in talking, something that really kind of caught my ear was sort of that it, inflammatory state. And so, you know, does... Does the gut bacteria uh, interact with glial cells? Uh, with and, and how does that sort of work as far as an inflammatory state? Because I know, like a lot of what what we are, there has been some research, let's say, into pain where. Instead of looking at it as you would know better than I would, you're the neurologist here, but looking at instead of just the neurological system, but sort of the neuroimmune system. Sure. And, and how that affects pain or stress in, in, in your case and what you're sure. studying.
1: Sure, it's a great point. And, and we're very, uh, you know, as I said, I'm interested in how stress affects the whole body. So I'm very interested in the role of the immune system in this mm-hmm. bidirectional communication between the brain and, uh, and the body. And we're, we, we're very interested in, in the local effects of, of inflammation in the brain. However, we haven't actually looked at glial function that well, right? We're doing it at the moment. We have mm-hmm. ongoing studies uh, looking at glia, uh, microglia in particular in the brain to see, how, you know, how they are responding. But, but there's no evidence right now uh, that there um, might be a change in, in brain glia or that that, or, or that the bacteria are influencing that.
0: Mm-hmm. However,
1: my prediction is that they will because the bacteria uh, have a microbiome has the potential to influence all aspects of brain function. And almost everything that we look at in some way can be regulated by, uh, by um, um, uh, the microbiome. But just this week, we published a paper showing that uh, the ability of the hippocampus to generate new cells in adults, it's called hippocampal neurogenesis, that that's regulated by the microbiome. Uh, and so I think that microglia activation and, 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 and um, will be under the uh, influence of uh, um, the microbiome as well as everything else that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that we've done.
0: And is there does it work in reverse is there a down regulation from the brain that affects the microbiome?
1: Yeah, so so that's also something that we've been interested in again from a stress point of view is uh, that we know that our brains control our gut function. For hundreds of years and so uh, we were interested in and this kind of what got us into this whole microbiome field in the first place was that you know what if you stress an individual so change their brain and how they respond to stress does that change their microbiome and uh, we did an early life stress uh, and we found that in, in, in rats and we found that their microbiome was different and other people have done the same and so that, that that basically you can affect your microbiome, but b- by stress, and so that it is bidirectional. And, um, and 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 this is quite provocative in terms of understanding long-term consequences of exposure to stressors uh, of, of, of different types as well.
0: And what's an example of like an early life stress? Are you talking early life, newborn, early life? You know, what, give give an so example. I, I, of what that I, I'll would talk do. to you about two. Um, okay.
1: Uh, one is, is is what we do in in in, in our animal studies. Is we just separate pups from their moms for a few hours every day during a critical period of, uh, in, in early life from postnatal day two to twelve. So that for for, for for rodents is actually quite stressful. And it's not just that that's stressful. It's, it's also how the mom is reacting when they're put back. Uh, and and it's also the mom gets quite stressed in dealing with. Dealing with this is is, is is important. In 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 humans, people have studied this and looked at say chronic um, abdominal pain in, in adulthood and looked at whether they were whether there was an incidence of early life trauma, so which is like a loss of a parent, uh, some form of abuse, a traumatic incident of something. And and they've shown that if that occurs, there is a much greater incidence of, for example, irritable bowel syndrome uh, in adulthood. And so that's kind of what we're modeling in some ways. So some of these, some of these traumas are, 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 are quite... People have also looked at, uh, like, in other cultures, such as in China, as they, you know, they left behind children and other forms of separation and, and seeing long-term effects... Uh, into adulthood, Uh, but anything that impacts any homeostasis will be there. Another experiment that we we were trying to do was try to tease apart, well, is it the microbiome changes in early life that are driving some of these long-term changes? And so what we did was we we looked at uh, early life exposure to antibiotics. And we were just interested to see what happens if in animals we're given antibiotics and what happened to them when they were in uh, older. And the good news for parents like myself um, is that, you know, we, we have to give kids antibiotics. It's part of the, you know, normal uh, to keep them well and uh, keep <laughs> all their nasty things uh, in, in action. But we found very little change in immune function or um, we, we looked at a, a anxiety um cognitive function, all of that, but what we did find and what we found that in, in two different types of cocktails of was, in adulthood, these animals were much more sensitive to pain, to visceral pain. So it's telling us that something happened in the wiring of pain pathways early in life by disturbing the microbiome uh, and that, that gave rise to long-term uh, uh, hypersensitivity to pain. And so it will be, this, it'll be interesting to see if this, this is animal studies, we just published this year, whether that will play out in the human mm-hmm. uh, situation. There's no evidence really yet. There's some evidence maybe with, with um, inflammatory bowel disease, but, but really there's nothing you know t- like that. The only good evidence that there is out there is in the context of obesity. And this is from the work of Marty Blazer and colleagues at NYU, which has shown that low levels of antibiotic exposure early in life will lead to a, an obese phenotype. Uh, later on and and, and uh, so th- th- that might have um, important implications for the food chain because a lot of uh, antibiotic use gets into the food chain uh, in the u s not in not in uh, in, mm-hmm. in, 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 our, in in european uh, places so but what it's telling us is, 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 is and that might be interesting to your listeners is that you know pain pathways are susceptible uh, to uh, microbiota changes uh, mm-hmm. early in life
0: mm-hmm. And you know a lot of uh, you know sometimes people will say, well a lot of these experiments and and uh, have been done on animals sure. And so, can you explain why it, it, it's really difficult to do some of these experiments on human beings? Just so, yeah. you know, everybody... No, 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 no.
1: no it's, and it's, it, it, it's, it's, we, we rely on animal models to give us some proof of principle, uh, and they're crucial to be able to see, uh, you know, is there a, a means forward in terms of what we're doing. So one of the things we can do in animals is we can work with a germ-free animal. That's an animal that has never been exposed to bacteria at all. So we can ask a very clear question: Is the microbiota involved in that process or not? Is it involved in you know uh, rheumatoid? Is it involved in, 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 in um, uh, back pain? Is it involved in whatever you're interested in in relation in an animal situation? You can answer that, yes or no. You cannot do that in humans because there's no human without a, a microbiome. With maybe the exception of the boy in the bubble. Right. But uh, other than that, so so we can do a lot of powerful uh, uh, interrogative questions in animals that we can't do in humans. But what's really great now is that there's been a real upsurge in the number of human studies coming forward. Because, uh, you know, the, um, it takes a lot of effort to recruit and get people involved right. and fund and, uh, you know... Uh, Pharmaceutical companies are not that interested uh, because these are dietary supplements generally that people are using okay. as interventions. But uh, with uh, people are beginning to look at this. And so there's been very exciting work coming from UCLA, for example, where they've been doing brain imaging okay. in healthy volunteers that have been given uh, different uh, uh, fermented uh, probiotic cocktails and looking at the impact on brain function, uh, especially in relation to pathways that are important for the emotional uh, valence of pain, uh, so very, uh, you know, very key studies coming from there. And I think more and more studies will emerge in humans, but we can animals' lifespan are shorter, we can do things much quicker uh, and less expensive, so we can actually prove some points. But the goal will be, of course, then to move into uh, the human situation as quickly as possible and, 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 and to, to validate whether there is any benefit in these types of, of, of approaches.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine too, in some of the like early life stressors and things like that, there's got to be some ethical implications. I, 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 I mean, you can't there, do
1: that. There, to there, there really is. It's, yeah. it's, uh, most of the early life stress um, uh, studies in humans are done in a retrospective uh, mm-hmm. nature, uh, and, but but even them are becoming more powerful now mm-hmm. because people are beginning to follow up long cohorts of, you know, um, from the Romanian orphanages, um, people of the the, uh, Chinese uh, uh, left behind children, various other prospective studies in in Ireland. We have one growing up in Ireland. There's one growing up in Britain. There's growing up in Singapore. So people are beginning to, you know, follow along. The U.S. doesn't support, hasn't supported a big one in this context and there's been a lot of talk with the NIH to try and do a a childhood study all the way through but Mm -hmm. but I think you know know, as time emerges we'll get more and more human data and the human data is crucial because uh, a a lot of um, uh, uh, interventions failed even though they showed great activity uh, in in animals so we've been able to cure uh, chronic pain in rats reasonably okay, but mm-hmm. when we moved into the human situation, it's not been, been as, as good yeah. for a variety of reasons. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's important that, that, that we have the animal studies that are vital, but we need to move into humans to actually see, translate, and be able to back translate.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, and it, what I found interesting is, you know, the development of the microbiome uh, in early life and i i think it would be fascinating to see if those people are cuz you know we get as physical therapists we get people who may have a bout of back pain some people they have back pain 6 weeks goes away they're fine some people turns into chronic pain debilitating pain a multi billion trillion dollar uh diagnosis here, at least here in the United States, you know, they say that more is spent on low back pain than on the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq combined, right? That's a lot of money. So this is such fascinating research. If it can shed a little bit of light into maybe that is the reason why some people go on to have chronic pain and others don't. And some people will have central, central sensitization as a result of of, yeah. of this perhaps you know because it's such a it's a black hole in in pain research as well and and yes. as you as you would know but you know, I think it's it would be such so fascinating. Well, I,
1: I, I, absolutely. So the question could be put, it, it, does your microbiome determine or gate your sensitivity to pain mm-hmm. uh, pathways in some ways? And we're actually wanted, We're actually going to try and do some studies in this, in in, in humans and in, 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 in healthies for us to see, because my pain sensitivity might be different to my co-worker mm-hmm. in the office next door under normal circumstances. And the question is, does your microbiome help mm-hmm. gate that or not? And, mm-hmm. and if it does, then what is it? What, what what is it secreting what is it producing what is it impinging on that might do it and is it on the you know uh, sensory sense sens- sensitization uh-huh. is it on some of the emotional context is on the cognitive you know because we also can you know impact the cognitive consequences sure. here as well. and 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 where does stress play a role because we know that stress will have a long-term uh, exactly. uh, 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 impact on this and, and uh, we know the stress response is uh, informed by the microbiota so that's the that, that's kind of where, where we're at. And I, it's not that, they, you know, it's just that the studies haven't been done yet. And um, a lot of it, you know, because it's multidisciplinary, uh-huh. uh, you, you can't do these studies without talking to people who know about microbiome and microbiologists you, you can not talk to neuroscientists and neuroscientists are very brain centric and and, uh, and, uh, uh, and so it, it takes a little bit of time for this, these different disciplines to actually talk to each other and then of course a lot of it is, is, is driven by complementary medicine and nutrition-based medicine mm-hmm. and, and uh, as well as uh, through uh, food companies and things like that so you know it's it'll take some time but I wouldn't be surprised that in a few years time we find out that at least in certain cohorts of people that their their um, pain sensitivity and their their, their, how they manage their pain might be influenced by the composition of their their microbiome Uh because some of the molecules that they're producing like this butyrate etc have have large um Uh, uh, abilities to influence pain pathways at the spinal and at the the brain level.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, the work that you're doing into stress, and you know, whenever you ask someone, well, what makes your pain worse? Stress, 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 stress. So, you know, and and then... you know, like you said, the group at UCLA looking through, are they using fMRIs? Like they're control? using fMRI,
1: yes. I, sh- I should have said, yeah.
0: And and so, you know, if they're looking at sort of those emotional areas, like are they amygdala and... and insula,
1: really from the insula, uh, in, 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 all, you know, into other cortical areas, uh, the anterior cingulate cortex in particular, mm-hmm. is, I think is quite uh, playing a role, but also some of the pain... Like pariaqueductal gray area, which is very important in pain uh, mm-hmm. sensing, and and uh, ones that we know are involved in opiate analgesia, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So so uh, you know they they've inferred a lot in their work from their own uh, experience with irritable bowel syndrome and mm-hmm. and other pain uh, central mechanisms of pain. So uh, yeah, I think I think you know the, the next few years, you know, it, it mightn't be so surprising that PTs might be uh, you know trying to understand what's going on in the
0: microbiome. Yeah, and and. You know, because I always think of you know the it's kind of the emotional part of pain you know there's research out of Harvard by dr. Sarah Lazar she's a, a neuroscientist as well as a meditation expert and spoken with her in the past and they look at through fmRIs and I mean they were only at the time just looking at laboratory laboratory induced pain, but that when in people who meditated who therefore we may infer have a less stressful life or maybe a lower uh, a lower reaction to stress sure. that their emotional part of the brain was not as active during the pain so they may still feel the pain but the intensity of it and the unpleasantness of it the emotional sure. part attached to it was less therefore they technically had less pain yeah, Does that make yeah
1: sense? yeah but, well, mm. distraction does the same thing and, uh-huh. and, and and other you know analgesia can be driven through through top down uh, yeah. uh, mediation and, and uh, the question is is uh, you know does the microbiome influence that yeah and, and like there is evidence within in rheumatoid pain and other pains that that, that this might be the case, mm-hmm. but it's something together with my colleague Shimon Mahani here we want to really tease apart a little bit in the next in the next few years. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's it's, it's it, it, I I I find it fascinating because it is as you say it's a two way street. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the pain uh, uh, affecting how we think, but also how we think affecting uh, uh, the pain response. Yeah,
0: totally. Okay. And now let's. Um... This was something that you, that was in the TED Talk, and it, I think, got people saying, what? Yeah, what? I know did what you got to say. Did he just say that? So, I'll, go ahead. So, you 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 know what I'm going to say, so we'll see if you're right.
1: Well, I would say you're going to talk about fecal transplants. Yes,
0: yes. I think yeah, t- everybody t- t- in the t- audience t- went, what?
1: <laughs> Taking someone else's poo, if I'm allowed yes. to say that on, on
0: You uh, are, yes. Uh,
1: you know, so this is the the... the, the this is really fascinating and this is uh, something that has emerged um, or re-emerged because it's been part of Egyptian and Indian culture uh, for you know millennia. But um, basically the concept that by, uh, if your gut is um, gone awry and your microbes are gone awry, what if you took someone else's like you would if you needed a liver transplant? or whatever, or another organ transplant. So uh, could you put in a new composition? And so where this has emerged from is in the, the uh, cases of hospital-induced um, clostridium uh, difficile infection. So people often go into hospital for certain procedures or certain events, and they often get a, a hospital-acquired mm-hmm. infections, mm-hmm. like C. diff. And they end up, some of them dying, because it's, it's, it's a very serious uh, consequence. And how do you treat it? Well, you treat it with more antibiotics. So it's an antibiotic-induced, and you give it more antibiotics, and it causes a cycle of just, you know, and people are in really bad states. And what they realized in, in a study that was published early in 2013 in the New England Journal of Medicine, that, that if they, these patients were given a, a fecal transplant, uh, they were not just some of them better, but 90-something percent of them got better. They had to stop the trial. It was so, um, you know, so positive. And this, you know, this in medicine is so rare. Yeah. So if you have C. difficile, you will, you know, want to have a fecal transplant. And so now in all major um, infection and gastroenterology centers worldwide, they are now beginning to do these fecal transplants, uh, usually from a close relative or someone who lives in the same environment because you want to make sure they're coming from a good uh, bacteria, you know, and, and that, that there will be a good match in terms of that will, will, it will stay. So that's what a fecal transplant is emerging. But because it's so successful, people are beginning to look at it in other areas of medicine. Uh, especially in uh, gastroenterology for inflammatory bowel disease, for um, uh, metabolic uh, diseases like obesity, diabetes, uh, you know, and and these studies haven't emerged yet, and and you know, there's, you hear mixed things in, in the literature, you know, whether there will be success or not or whatever, but 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 it's ongoing, and so I I was asking, well, what about in brain health, and you know. Is this a strategy uh, that, that could be used? And have we any evidence? And the answer is we have no evidence. Um, but absence of evidence doesn't mean that it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And there's a very neat mouse study that uh, the guys at McMaster, uh, Steve Collins and, and Chemik Birchik did a, 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 a couple of years ago where they took two strains of mice that had different microbiota. One was a stressed mouse and the other was a a really normal, whatever normal is in a mouse. And uh, they looked, they did this fecal transplant. And uh, in doing so, then they were able to basically turn the stressed mouse into a normal mouse and turn the normal mouse into a stressed animal uh, or more anxious. And they looked at anxiety. So this tells us that at least in a mouse, by doing a, 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 a fecal transplant, you can actually change the behavior of an animal robustly and bi-directionally fascinating yes. it also means that we have to keep an eye out if you ever did need to get a fecal transplant and uh, that who you're getting who your donor is and that they're not a bit crazy because right. you know, they might actually transplant some of that behavior uh too uh, another study this year came out in um uh, again, an animal study from from, from um, uh, New Orleans, where uh, uh, from Hans Rudie Bertone's group, who who showed that if they took the uh, um, fecal uh, uh, material from an obese animal and gave it to a normal mouse, that it it, it adopted all of the behaviors. Uh, anxiety and all that, that that the obese animal had without changing, it didn't have to become obese it just, it was able to, it's behavior was able to shift mm-hmm. and so we're beginning, to, you know, it's beginning to open up as a, as, a, as a viable option but it has the yuck factor you know, yeah. would you take poo? And like, you know, and people always wonder how do they get the poo to where it wants to go and there are only two <laughs> routes that can go and people do both routes and so that's um, uh, 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 how it's done but now Companies are emerging that are doing two things. One is to create an artificial stool uh, that will be uh, able to be used in such things, and the second is to put it into a nice capsule that you can actually take. And it could be, you know, whatever. It could be your vitamin pill for the day or whatever. But you know, and, and so the, these are some of the developments that people are doing. Well,
0: who knew your poop had so much power, huh?
1: It's the power of poop.
0: <laughs> who knew? Okay. Um, I thought that was fascinating, and and at TED Med, you know, a different. You saw people's eyes just sort of went very, yeah. very wide at that, which I don't know if you saw it because you were on. Stage, no, I haven't seen it yet, so but, I don't know. But, but uh, when you're in the audience, you're looking around. Everyone's like, kind of lean forward a little bit in their seats, like, what did he just say? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we sort of referenced this a little earlier, but um, in in talking about probiotics that are sold over the counter sure so what what exactly is going on there um and this may be a question i don't know if it's within your wheelhouse but what what exactly are they doing for the body is it is it good is it bad or is it neutral
1: okay so for the most part the simple answer is we don't know Mm -hmm. because no one's tested it and this is my big beef, my big problem is that, you know, you can you can say this is so in Europe we can't use the word probiotic anymore. The the, the regulators have 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 uh, have uh, uh, basically probiotic infers a health benefit and so In the European regulators require that you show this health benefit. So uh, before you can say it has health benefits, and so most of the 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 material that is on the market does not show, has not been tried or tested for any health benefits. Um, So we're quite interested in, 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 for example, what what my colleague Ted Dynan has termed uh, psychobiotics, which is a probiotic that will impact on mental health or on brain health. And um and what we find is that in at least even in our animal studies, the most uh, uh bacteria will not have any psychobiotic potential. They won't do anything positive. Um, and that makes me think that most things in the supermarket shelves won't do anything. Uh if they survive the gut. Like whether they've even been tested, whether they even get to you know, your, your colon in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's quite a nasty environment that they have to get through. And uh, so those, you know, so my, my instinct is that most of them are probably not doing any harm. Um, they're probably benign. Uh, some of them might be doing good, but I'd like to see people test this, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's like saying you go to a pharmacy and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. most of the drugs there do stuff. But you know they may not take a a um, Lipitor if you have a headache. You know it may not be the right thing to do. And but they're both drugs. You know they just differ in their chemical makeup. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know if you have a headache, taking Lipitor it mightn't be a bad thing. You mightn't cause any harm, but it mightn't do you any good. And it might you know. And I think that's the way I'm thinking about probiotics. It's it's, it's a catch-all phrase. But it's actually we're talking about different bacterial species that have different components and work in a different manner, and we need to think about them and figure it out. And then the companies need to invest money in actually figuring out what's going on. Um, so, uh, and a lot of these uh, yogurts and things are very high in sugar, and so you, the harm is maybe not coming from the bacteria, but you know, they could also be coming from other other components of it. So, I, you know, and especially, in, in, you know, it's something that we need to study more and more in, in, in different stages in life, be it in early in life or uh, as we age, to see, what, you know, what bacteria we could actually, you know, re- put in, replace and, 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 and take. And so people often ask me, do I take, you know, uh, bacteria f- uh, from the supermarket or whatever? And, and I don't, because I have no evidence that it would work. Just like if I had a headache, I wouldn't just take it, something that, without having it Proven and uh, you know safe to, uh, to 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 take in that regard.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: most of them are safe and benign.
0: Yeah, and I couldn't be a good placebo. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. absolutely. Placebo effect is very strong,
1: um, especially in pain.
0: Absolutely. Um, okay, so kind of wrapping things up. Um, do you see and, and do you and your group or your lab? Uh, see a future in sort of the therapeutic value of gut bacteria in the treatment of depression, anxiety, stress, some of the the things you guys are looking at.
1: Absolutely. I'm I'm very, very um, buoyed by the concept that we might be able to develop specific precision bacteria that have proven benefit uh, in influencing brain health in a positive way uh, that will have uh, uh, positive psychobiotic uh, potential. That, that I'm really, really, you know, uh, uh, enthusiastic about. But just like, you know, for other aspects of depression, anxiety, stress, we need to do the tr- studies in, 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 in humans in a way with the same rigor we would with a pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. And we need to, you know, and often I think it, th- these could be add-ons to other uh, uh, interventions, be it as a supplement to a uh, um, antidepressant or to an exercise regime or mindfulness or, or or whatever you want to, you know what I mean? I, I you know, the, 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 I think they'll they'll merge into being part of a repertoire. And uh, I, I think you know, dietary, the gut, you know, the ability to modulate mood and things by diet is very powerful. And uh, so I think you know we're beginning to see that in all aspects of uh, uh, of uh, uh, neuroscience in, in general.
0: Yeah, and and before we go, there's a question that I forgot to ask before. It just came to my mind. Um, do you, do you guys know, or do, as far as collective research groups know, what is good bacteria, what is bad bacteria, and what, or is that sort of something that yeah, I mean, this, figured the, the, out?
1: You know, uh, <laughs> it's all about it's all about it's all about context and environment, and, and certain bacteria that we would think, you know, from high school or whatever that are are, are bad bacteria it can actually be positive bacteria, E. coli is an example and whatever mm-hmm. else. So it's a, it's a way we don't like to differentiate because it all depends on, how you know, uh, put it in the right environment. It could be a good bacteria or a bad bacteria, uh, you know, and, and cause an infection. So mm-hmm. the, 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 it's not what we generally like to to to, to, to work on. Um, it's basically the, the collective functional, uh, activity of the the bacteria the, the, that's important and what they're doing um, so like we often think of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria as good bacteria mm-hmm. uh, and, and in general they're very important early on in life for, for, for driving uh, uh, the initial uh, immune response etc But but like you know it's probably too simplistic of a a way that that we all do. I'm not criticizing, but I'm just saying it's a way we fall into it. And and I think it's all about environment and context of where the bacteria is and what's in this neighborhood and, you know, everything else. And so um, we shouldn't uh, be prejudicing uh, bacteria early on. They they all have the potential to be uh, positive and and negative.
0: Yeah, and it's just something, because, again, that's one of those, I guess, a sort of debunking kind of the... Because that's just what's in your face all the time, yeah. you know? So for people out there, if patients ask like, oh, I saw this commercial. It says it gets rid of my bad bacteria or this is for my good bacteria. And, you know, sometimes it's, it is. It's, it's simplifying down to the point where it's no longer valid. Yes. Right? Yes.
1: Uh, and uh, I think that's where marketing takes over. Yes,
0: exactly, exactly. Okay, um, so we're just about running out of time, but I just wanted to give you, I just wanted to ask you if there are you know, some key points of, of your research that you would like people to really take away. What would those key points be?
1: I suppose it's the concept that the microbes and the bacteria in your gut can influence your brain and, 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 and your spinal cord and, and can influence all aspects of health. And to not forget about them. Uh, what uh, our bacteria are bacteria very crucial, especially early in life. And so be very be very good to your bacteria early in life. Avoid antibiotics as much as you can. Uh-huh. Uh, avoid uh, 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 diets that, will, that 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 will be have negative impact on, on the bacteria. And keep your bacteria as diverse as possible. And 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 and, and, and that will be very important. Uh, I think that. They're the key points that, that I really want to make is is in terms of mental health from what we know today, but we're only at the beginning. It's the tip of the iceberg about what we know about bacteria and stress modulation, mental health, pain sensitivity. All of these things uh, uh, we're going to know more and more about as uh, 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 as time goes on. The same with exercise and other things that will be uh, relevant to PTS. You know, we know that they are modulated by the bacteria, but 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 in terms of what what way and so. Uh, and obesity, of course. So so um, it's hoped that in, in, in the next few um, years that the hypothesis that we have about psychobiotics will be able to mature into human studies, that clinical trials can be done with rigor, and that we will be able to determine which bacteria and why, and what are the roots that it's doing it, uh, will uh, have a positive benefit in certain patient populations. Yeah.
0: Great. And, you know, just for all you listeners, um, uh, you are on Twitter. You're active on Twitter. So if you want to tell people your Twitter handle, if they want to get in touch with you or they want to tweet at you or they have questions, yeah. sorry. But, yeah, no, no, no worries.
1: <laughs> I'm on Twitter at at, at, at JFCrime. J-F-C-R-Y-A-N. Yes. Uh, so that's my, my, my Twitter handle. I, 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 I can be found there sometimes. Yes. Uh, finding out lots of things about microbiome, stress, et cetera.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And this was great. And I probably have like 50 other questions, but, you know. I, I can't keep you for I can't keep you all day. No, so no. thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And everyone out there, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week and have a great week. Stay healthy, wealthy and smart.